Well, those who remain, if you'll turn in a copy of God's Word to Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 through 9. Um, if you're using the Pew Bible, I'm using the one on the ends, the ESV. Um, you know, the Pew Bibles really are meant for backup and emergency. If you forget one, I really commend you to, to bring your own copy of God's Word. I've been using the same... Well, I didn't even bring mine this morning. I forgot mine. Uh, but uh, I've been using the same one since 2008. And sometimes I can't tell you the chapter and the verse. But I can tell you it's on the right page, left-hand column at the bottom. It's a real blessing to be able to use the same copy day in and day out. So I really commend you to, to bring your own. Uh, but either your own or ours. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. But to give us some context, I'm going to read verses uh, 1 through 9. So hear now the word of the Lord. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, Help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication let your request be made known to God which surpasses or excuse me uh, made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus finally brothers whatever is true whatever is honorable whatever is just whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is commendable if there's any excellence if there's anything worthy of praise think about these things What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall indeed stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word is truth, and it is completely trustworthy, because it is your word to us. Help us, Lord, as we seek to unpack it this morning. Send your Spirit to anoint both the speaker and the hearer, that we might be grown in your grace. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Just by a show of hands, how many of you are golfers here? Any golfers here or have been in the past? Who pretends to be a golfer? I'm, I'm in that camp. Uh, I pull it out on the missions conference weekend. And, um, you know, I usually take a ball or two for every hole I play uh, just to make sure that I have enough. If you've ever played golf or watched golf, you know, it seems like the putts that are missed the most are the, the easy putts on the 18th hole when it's all down on the line, Right? You're one stroke behind or you're tied up and you, and you need to sink it for the win. Nothing's changed since the practice round. The grass is the same. The, your putter hadn't suddenly stopped working. A three or four foot putt that you would always make or, or a PGA Tour um, professional would make suddenly is really hard to sink. Why is that? It's because it's going on in your mind. Or other sports that are, you know, um, solo sports like, like tennis or archery or shooting. 
It's a battle of the mind. It's, it's not that the battle really is on the square inch of grass, but the battle is five to six feet higher right here. The mind is running. Thoughts of failure and success are flowing through your mind, and then the body responds by dumping adrenaline into the system, and your hand's doing this number. It's because it's a battle of the mind. So much of our lives are determined by what's going on in our minds, what's going on in our hearts. What we think about, what we dwell on, these things greatly determine and influence our actions. If we're thinking godly thoughts, if we're meditating on the Word, if we're um, seeking His will and and seeking to commune with Him in the private moments, that'll bear fruit, uh, fruit, that'll bear forth fruit in our lives. But if we're thinking ungodly thoughts, iniquity will come forth as well. Our minds belong to the Lord. Have you ever thought about that, that your thoughts belong to God? It seems so often that it's obvious to see that our actions belong to the Lord. It's even our words. These things are very public. And we're very guarded in these, sometimes not just because they honor the Lord or not, but more often because we're afraid of what others will say or think about us. But, but you know, our minds, generally our thoughts, people can't read our thoughts. And so it's that private sanctum that we we tend to think this belongs to me and me alone, but but even our thoughts don't belong to us. Just as we are hopefully careful with how we spend our physical capital, our, our resources, our money, so too we have to be careful how we spend our mental uh, capital, what we dwell on, what we think about, what we meditate on. So much of our call to live a holy life is determined uh, by what's going on in our mind. The battleground of the mind. So often, the, the, as the mind goes, so go our actions and words. Paul calls um, the Philippians to live a holy lifestyle. And by extension, the, the Holy Spirit, these are His words, these are God's words written to us. He calls us to live holy lives as well. And we see this starting in verse 9. We're going to look at 9 first, then we'll look at 8. Where Paul tells the Philippians, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This word practice isn't a one-time thing. It's an ongoing tense that we are to practice now and to continue to practice, to put into effect in our life each and every day. Paul's not holding himself up as a perfect example. We've already seen that in a few weeks ago. But he is holding up before the Philippians a reminder of how he and his missionary companions had acted when they had gone to visit and to share the gospel They are facing three major problems that we have continued to look at in our time together in the Philippians. Uh, They are facing persecution from Jews and Gentiles alike, from false teachers and conflict in the church. Do you know the first step in making wine? Maybe the second, I guess you have to pick the grapes and plant them first, but ultimately you have to take a grape and you have to apply pressure to it, don't you? You apply pressure to a grape to see what's on the inside of it. You put it through the wine press. 
You can look at a grape and say, man, that looks like a nice grape, and I think that'll make a nice bottle of wine. But, but you really don't know, do you, until you've squeezed it to see what's on the inside. The Philippian church were facing the wine press of three different issues and problems, and it was exposing what was on their hearts and what was in their minds. We face our own wine presses, don't we? Our own trials and tribulations, and perhaps we think we're doing well, or looking at a a child in our home, think he or she's doing well, and then the pressure comes, and we find out really what's in our hearts. And what's in our minds? Well, the first pressure the Philippians were facing was that of persecution. And don't you know that in the face of persecution, when the pressure was applied, what they needed to ooze out was the juice of holiness. Can you imagine, uh, you know, we are a country that's been largely free of persecution. Praise the Lord for that. But can you imagine when someone walks into the church with gunfire, or, or not just us, but our children, perhaps, closer to the heart. What comes, out of our, what comes out of our mouths? Are they some select French words? Or do we praise the Lord? That, that battle has, will be lost or won, in many ways, by preparation of the mind. As the pressure was applied to Paul and Silas, as as Paul points the Philippians to his example, in Acts 16, we find that when they went to Philippi to found the church there, that they, they faced persecution. They were publicly beaten and thrown into jail. Do you know the response when they were thrown into jail? It was to sing and to pray when the wine press was applied to their lives. That's what flowed out of their hearts and their minds. The result was ministry and evangelism. This is a side effect of holiness, of living a holy life. Is that people around us see there's something different that we couldn't produce ourselves. Do you think Paul and Silas were able to, to drum up within themselves the will, the joy to suddenly be singing after they've been beaten and praying? No, this came from the Lord, from the Holy Spirit working in their hearts. And so too, when we have opportunities to suffer, either by persecution or suffering in general, others look at us and see what's going on and wonder, what's what's different? The question is, is there anything different? This battle is largely fought in the mind before we even arrive at that location as the pressure is applied to us to find out what's really in us. As a result of the Lord using Paul in this situation, the Philippian jailer and his whole family were converted and baptized, and the, and the church blossomed to Philippi to the point where now it is a sending church. But also false teachers. This is a screws are being turned a little more. It'd be tough to be holy and godly in that kind of situation. But especially because of what the false teachers were promoting in Philippi. There seemed to be two sets of false teachers. The one was saying you had to obey the law in order to be a Christian. You had to do things in order for God to love you instead of resting upon the finished work of Jesus alone. But the other group said, you know, it just doesn't matter how you live your life. 
God doesn't expect you or want you or His plan for you to live a holy lifestyle. This was a grossly immoral area. The the Romans um, had very perverse practices when it came to their religion and how easy it would have been to say, you know, that's pretty attractive. Instead of saying, you know, the Lord has called me to live a holy lifestyle, holy and pleasing to Him. But as the screws were turned just a little bit more in the wine press, there was conflict in the church, and and this was probably the hardest. Let's be honest, conflict within the church is a very hard and can be a devastating thing. How tempting it would have been for them to gossip about the different personalities involved. How tempting it would have been for them to take sides, to hold grudges, or to fail to believe the best in others. Indeed, the importance of dealing with conflict in families and in churches as believers is so important to handle it well as the world looks on to see if there's anything different. They needed holiness in each one of these areas. Paul says, look to my example. Where do we need to find holiness in our lives? Where are we struggling in holiness? Living a godly lifestyle, pure, without blemish, reflecting His love for us to others. I think a good summary would be where we live, where we work, and we play. Can't think of a lot of other places that we live. You know, we don't really live life in the big events, big vacations, you know, big things at work, big projects. We live in the mundane. And it's in the mundane that we need holiness the most as we, at work, as we say no to pressures to hedge and work relationships with each other to strike back, to be bitter, to be passive-aggressive. Or at home, as we seek to be holy and to set a good example for our wives, men, and for our children, when we play, I think that's where we mostly give ourselves the most excuse, right? The most leeway. College football games. Uh, the football field. The basketball court. The golf course. These places we often give ourselves too much leeway. The reality is that we are called to imitate Paul as he imitates Christ. But this battle doesn't, isn't an isolated one. It, it stems from what's inside of our hearts and what's inside of our minds. A lot of times these fights, these battles are already won and lost before we even show up. So Paul says in verse 8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Our thoughts matter. There's no such thing as a throwaway thought. Uh, This is rather silly, but... I used to give uh, tours in Cambridge, England um, for a ministry I was involved with in college. And I don't know why they let a 19-year-old give tours of a city that's 2,000 years old. They handed me some facts and said, you're, you're starting on Wednesday and uh, to a city I, I'd never been to before. I remember halfway through one of my tours saying, I'm not real sure what I'm saying out loud. And I sure hope that doesn't matter. <laughs> But of course it mattered. There were people listening. 
And there's someone listening to our thoughts as well. The Lord Jesus. God gave us our minds. He he made us people of emotion. He blessed us with creativity. I love watching the mind of Thomas as he explores. and He tells us that he fought in World War II. Um, Ask him about that sometime. He'll tell you all about World War II. Just like what we do with our money matters, so too what we do with our mental capital matters as well. The reality is that a mind that dwells on iniquity will produce iniquity. A mind that is disciplined to think on things of the Lord will produce fruit. Nowhere is this more starkly put than Romans chapter 8. For those who live according to their to the spirit set their uh, excuse me let me start over for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit for to set the mind on the flesh is death but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace for a mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God for it does not submit to God's law indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please the Lord. You know, um, the iPhone operating system, the new camera, it has a time-lapse function on it. So you can press a button, then set it up to, uh, to record something. It'll take images every few seconds or milliseconds, whatever it is. And then later you can press play, and it'll show you a snapshot, a slideshow of everything that has happened. What if we had a snapshot of our minds throughout the day, of our thoughts? How sobering would that be? The fight to live holy lives is quite tough. It's not one we do on our own. We do it not on our own strength. We do it on the strength of the Lord as He gives us His grace and provision by the Holy Spirit. But amidst school, amidst peer pressure, it worked to perform at home with financial and relationship pressures we are constantly fighting the flesh, or ought to be, tooth and nail. And this battle begins and ends with the mind. You know, we're told in um, Romans 12, verse 2, not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. Therefore, we really are foolish to think that we can replay the same situations in our minds over and over again and expect ever to move beyond them. We really are foolish to think that we can continue to dwell on bitter thoughts throughout the day and past wrongs and ever make any progress towards forgiveness and reconciliation. We really are foolish to think that we can have lustful thoughts all day and it won't directly impact our lives in secret. Do we really think that we can expose our minds to ungodly music, movies, TV shows, video games and commercials and not be deeply impacted by what we've seen and heard. Our thoughts matter because one day we will give account of them. Our thoughts matter because they are what God uses to change us, change us. And our thoughts matter because they deeply influence what we do. So what are we thinking about? Paul says, in the midst of this uh, fight with anxiety, as he commends his people, don't be anxious about anything, but let your request be made known to God. With thanksgiving, supplication, with prayer. And the peace of God will transform you. The peace of God will change you. The peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
Therefore, my brothers, think on these things. Think on these things. What do we think of? When our minds aren't engaged, when we're on cruise control, where do our minds go? This word, think on, is a Greek word that means more than just call to mind or call into memory. It means to, to chew on, to meditate on, to think on with the view of obtaining the thing that is contemplated. This is more than just a list of do's and don'ts. It's a recipe for success. Did you know actually that that secular psychologists and psychiatrists have, have, have honed in on this very strategy? They don't refer to Scripture when they talk about it. But we all know that the only way to stop thinking about one thing is to replace it with something else. And so as we continually fight those same tapes playing over and over again in our minds, we have to replace them with something else. And so what should we replace them with? Well, just to pick a few, we obviously don't have time to go into all of them. Uh, Paul first tells us to meditate on, to chew on uh, those things which are true. Or to meditate on truth itself. Now, each one of these, we have a positive command, think on truth. We have a negative command, implied, don't think on falsehood. And then all of Scripture points us to Christ. And each one of these characteristics points us to our Lord. We're told to, to meditate on that which is true. You know, as we navigate the complex waters of our world and culture, there are a lot of competing viewpoints and worldviews, positions, and each and every one of them can only be measured if we know the truth. Do you know how you tell um, longitude? Longitude is measured in degrees from a known location called the meridian line. It goes through England. And so where you are in longitude, based on, in the world, as you calculate your position, you have to know the meridian line, the, the line of truth, the known location. The only way that we will be able to spot falsehoods, the only way that we'll be able to, to, to know, um, identify the, the lies of the evil one, is if we know the meridian line of God's truth. We must think on the truth of God's love for us when the world tells us that we are unloved, Or that we are alone. We must meditate on the forgiveness of God. When the evil one throws up our past sins again, we must grapple with the promises of God. When nothing is going our way, we must be transformed by the renewal of our minds when the lives of the world are barking in our door. This truth ultimately is found in Scripture. This is where the truth can be found. It alone is the meridian line. It alone gives us the source of truth. It alone points us to the way, the truth, and the life, our Savior. And it is He who has dealt with the truth of our guilt. And He has truly forgiven us and truly redeemed us. We are told to think on that which is pure. The negative of that would be impurity. And it points us to the purity and holiness of Christ. The Philippians were living in a, in a, a context that we can appreciate, I think. One that was increasingly ungodly. It was increasingly perverse. And so when Paul tells them to think on that which is pure, it means to flee those things that are immoral. When our minds are set on the immoral, then the immoral will happen in our hearts. And it will come from our, our lips. 
The word pure and holy are closely associated. When we set our hearts and our minds on on holy things, we, we build up a resistance like an immunization against the pressures to engage in an impure lifestyle. These things certainly point us to the purity and holiness of the Lord Jesus. The only holy one, the only pure one who has walked on this earth. And yet he allowed himself to be counted as impure, as unrighteous. So that we might be washed by his blood and be declared to be pure. These last two, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. These two phrases were meant to be lumped together as a summary of everything, uh, uh, every way that a Christian is meant to live. Certainly, these point to Jesus. For He alone is truly excellent. And He alone is truly worthy of praise. And yet, He would allow Himself not to be crowned with the crown of glory, but with the crown of thorns that we might be saved through Him. This is what takes us to the very end of our text. If you practice these things, the peace of God will be with you. Or the God of peace will be with you, as the text says. The reality is that our minds must be transformed by the Lord. We can't fight this fight on our own. And if we think that we can fight the fight against impure thoughts and sinful thoughts and bitterness and anger and malice and deceit and slander and gossip, all these things which so consume our minds, we cannot do them on our own. Christ first has to make peace with us between Him and the, between us and the Father, and He has come and laid down His life for us that we might walk in peace as He gives it through His Spirit. Do you know the Lord? Have you received peace? He has called us to live lives of holiness, and we must fight the fight in our minds. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You that You have renewed our minds and You have changed our hearts. Help us, Lord, to rely on Your strength that we have the mind of Christ and that we would uh, turn away from the things of this world and that we would contemplate especially Your love for us and in doing so we might be changed by Your grace. In the name of Jesus we ask it. Amen. We'll conclude our service as we sing verses 1, 2, 5, and 6. 1, 2, 5, and 6 of 390. May the mind of Christ my Savior. Let's stand and sing.
Son, Jesus Christ, 